Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, is not here today, but I sat down for a discussion with a really good friend of mine. She goes by the name of Tissiet and writes in the Star Wars fandom. In today's episode, we just have the chats as we say here in Ireland. We talk about meeting online 10 years ago, about our experiences moving from small fandoms to huge fandoms, about Tessa's work and about silly things like copyright law. This episode is long, but it is for the best reason, because we had so many laughs. And I hope you guys end up loving Tess as much as I do. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. Hello and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. We are back. It is September. I'm back from my holidays, which were glorious, by the way, and ready to record. Lani is currently on a trip, so she's away, but... I am so excited about today's episode because I have a guest with me who has been a really good fandom friend of mine for almost 10 years now, I want to say. She goes by the name of Tissiet online, has written fanfic for multiple fandoms, including ER and Star Trek, although we personally meant uh, writing fanfic for The Good Wife. She now writes very successful fanfics in the Star Wars fandom. She's an incredible writer and a fantastic person. So thank you so much for joining me. Welcome Tess. How are you? It's so good to have you. Oh, it's so good to be here. I'm so excited for this. I can't believe it's been 10 years since we've met. That's wild. Well, so I don't know. Maybe it's not been 10 years. Maybe it's been a bit less because I was looking at it and I think my fa- my very first fanfics in The Good Wife were from like 2012, 2013, but I think we met a little bit later. Oh, I don't know. I think that's about right. Because I started writing after we met because I I hadn't been in the fandom and I thought you guys were so cool. I was like, I, sh- I got to do something for, for you. Anyway, do you want to kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about what you write, uh, how long you've been writing, what kind of fanfic, all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, so I go by Tessiet online. I've been writing for ages. In real life, I've been sort of pressed into it since I was about nine. There was like a, a competition when I was nine to win sort of a national prize that I entered into. And I, I was one of a bunch of winners for that. It was like for a school age kid, you had to write a diary based on the life of like an early settler of Canada. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then everyone's like, you should write. And I was like, absolutely not. That is not for me. But then, you know, the internet happened and fan fiction happened. And I used to like run home from school every day and try to beat my dad to the like single computer we had in the house so I could get on there and read fan fiction. And I started reading X-Files fan fiction and I started writing X-Files fan fiction. And some of it still exists on fanfiction.net under a different suit. And I remember writing this and feeling so grown up and being like, this is graphic. Breaking. And I've since gone back to read it 
and it's just so bad. And I remember at the time being like, I don't understand why nobody's like reading and commenting and like interested in this. And like as an adult now looking at it, um, well, there's a very good reason you can tell it's written by a 13 year old. You, you, you can tell. So I took a break after that and I just read, 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 read. Huge reader in um, like the early Harry Potter, you know, the fictionality, Sugar Quill, all that drama days. And loved that. Didn't really write for that. And then I uh, I started watching ER and, you know, realistic medical drama. That's what I was like, I need to write for that fandom. The show was long over and it was a dead, dead, dead fandom. Yeah, because I always thought, because I have very distant memories of ER, but I remember it being rather successful. So I would have assumed that maybe back in the day, but when the show was ear- was on air, it was probably kind of popular. But then usually those shows, they just kind of, you know, after the show ends, the fandom kind of dies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I mean, I've speculated on this a lot because who couldn't love ER with the same passion at the same time I did? But I think there's a bunch of factors that go into stuff like that. I think largely, um, it was it was largely pre-internet, and most of the fans were mm-hmm. older. And um, I think medical procedurals and 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 police procedurals, I, I feel like they don't um, evoke the same sort of creativity in the fandom in sort of a broad general strokes because a lot of it requires specialized knowledge in terms of writing and I think that's actually something really interesting about the Good Wife fandom is that everybody who was like writing for it were lawyers and I thought that was really cool so many people not everybody but yes but it felt like it yeah. it did feel like it yeah and my interest tends to skew towards like sort of vague emotional beats like nothing super melodramatic I like I really like quiet revelations for characters and I really like good characters so I can see especially sort of in that area where where why I was dropped good wife and why I wasn't super great at writing for something like Star Trek which is very very especially Star Trek 2009 very action adventure very like melodramatic big plots big moments and so yeah the good wife was sort of the first time that i like engaged with other writers and watched because there was just like it was also sort of the start of tumblr fandom and and you could access the authors in a way that you couldn't on live journal i remember like on live journal i would leave comments but if you weren't a big name fan they would never reply to you. They, they never replied to you. They never engaged. Obviously, they didn't have to. But it just felt a lot more difficult to sort of find people in live journals. And I thought Tumblr was sort of for some like, I reached out to you. I reached out to a couple other people. And everyone was like super welcoming. And I said, so, so well informed and so smart. And that was sort of my true entrance into like being a writer of fandom. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I totally agree. I think I remember the very early days of me writing The Good Wife fan fiction was still kind of life journal heavy. So that would have been 2012. But then very quickly, we all kind of switched to Tumblr. And it's true, like Tumblr allowed, like it is a hell site and it still is, but (laughs) it will, (laughs) it is our hell site. But yeah, like I think, I think it did kind of, open up the floor to people interacting with each with each other more and in kind of like a different way as well in terms of you know because I remember when I started writing for The Good Wife we would have like not us but I remember with Or By The Sea we'd have like these like really long really long conversations and like the comment section (laughs) of her of her fix just me like to kind of stalking her being like please acknowledge my presence <laughs> oh my god 
I stalked her too. I stalked the two of you. And I always, like, for a long time, I couldn't tell you about because you both had, like, beach names. I was convinced, not that you were the same person, but I was convinced. I was like, oh my God, they're like a little duo. They're so tight. I'll never get in there. I, I don't know. Just in my head, I just automatically assumed it was like, well, themed names. Well, they must be sort of of the same same ilk. Yeah, I mean, we both, I think we both had those names prior to joining the fandom. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, like I remember, I remember I really, I mean, to this day, I mean, we've kind of lost touch now, but to this day, she's one of my favorite writers, like fanfic writers uh, out there. Her work is just incredible. Uh, but yeah, I kind of stalked her and I was like, please be my friend. And then she was kind enough to be my friend. So, yeah. Yeah, no, she was wonderful. Um, if you ever see, if you ever talk to her again, I tell her, I say, hi, she'll be like, who? Because I wrote one fic for The Good Wife. But I read very many. I read a lot. Yeah, and that's actually something that I wanted to, this is a great segue. Um, this is actually one, something that I want to talk to you about because... I noticed, so, yeah, on The Good Wife, you wrote one fic, though you had written in the past, and obviously now you write a lot for Star Wars. How, like, how did that happen, and how do you, why did you only write one fic for The Good Wife versus, you know, like, how does a fandom kind of call you, and how do you kind of decide what you're going to write? In terms of why I wrote one fic for The Good Wife, honestly, I think largely I just sort of felt out and not in a bad way just in a way that I was like still learning and I still like I knew I didn't have the expertise I mean I read that I reread that fic recently it's amazing but it's very light on law you know yeah but yeah but I don't think that was needed but yeah anyway continue yeah I mean it's I, I think for me um what I've discovered I really like and and you can see it now, like, once I tell you, you'll, you'll see it's very obvious. I don't really come up with my own plots. I rewrite Greek myths. And, um, or, or I take, I like to work with a framework. I really like malicious compliance. So if someone gives me a prompt, I like to see how far away I can go from the prompt while still technically fulfilling it. Or I like to, like, hang stories on frameworks mm-hmm. of poetry, um, myths, things that I already sort of know the idea behind i have a little thread to follow i used to think it was cheating i think now it's sort of the same as i think everybody does it to one degree or other maybe they're more or less aware of what sources they're referencing but i mean it's it's storytelling every everything is built on a previous reference you know that's how things work yeah 100 percent. and i think i think you kind of when you build your stories like if you're building something I mean, I think it's a very interesting art. Like, it's not something I do, but I think it's very interesting. And I can see, like, to me, it sounds incredibly difficult. And to me, it sounds like, I'm like, oh, well, I've already got a blueprint to follow. Because, I mean, the good wife one is uh, just Narcissus. It's just Narcissus, you know, the myth. And Mm. um, I kind of stuck with that formula. I, I didn't for my Star Trek ones, but I found, I think, and I didn't for my ER ones, and I think part of that was what made me less likely to write in those fandoms is that I, I didn't always feel like I had a clear direction or a clear thing to say. I mean, I just think it's maturity. And so, like, it took me a long time to realize, like, oh, I'm discussing a theme through this. And I know it sounds obvious. And I think it was something that I was intellectually understood. But it wasn't until I, I started doing 
I think honestly really Star Wars. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, a couple Star Trek ones. I knew that I wanted to discuss like family and like legacy. I've, I'm always very interested in that. Uh, especially like a good legacy. I think the weight of a good legacy is, is just as heavy as the weight of a bad legacy. And I, I'm fascinated by, by that specifically. And I think things like myths and rhymes just really gave me, even if they didn't give me a structure, it gave me the comfort of knowing where I was going. So like the myth of Narcissus, I knew that it had to do with Will's own vanity and Will's own obsession with his own desires and seeing what he wanted instead of seeing what might necessarily be the truth and how that can lead to somebody drowning, which, you know, I think ultimately he, he kind of does. Yeah. Um, and there was one thing that I wanted to ask you because I noticed you kind of you are writing well you were writing for a very long time a kind of long work and I know there's a lot of debate between like people who post as they write versus you know people who write everything and then post and I know like especially because I was wondering because you are writing to a structure right you're rewriting myths or you're rewriting certain things um, I was wondering, because I know you still post as you go, and I was wondering what the story is behind that decision and why do you prefer posting as you go versus, you know, writing everything and then posting? Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I think probably what I've come to, to understand more in the past couple of years of writing heavily and and getting much more feedback than i ever got in any other fandom um is that you just got to do what works for you and ignore everything else and i didn't want to seem like i I never feel very confident myself so i didn't want to ignore advice that that could be helpful or or um dismiss the things that people who are much more skilled than me much better than me were telling me but ultimately it came down to the fact that like i needed that hit of dopamine from people complimenting me in order to write the next chapter. I needed the deadline of somebody being like, Hey, it's Thursday. Where's the next chapter to get it done? You know, like, and I, I, and I, I could, if I finished a chapter and sat on it, two things would happen. I realized that I overwork things to the point that they lose any sort of spontaneity or interest. They become very, very dry and very just overwrought and, and they stop being fun. And then also I become so distracted by the thing that's sitting in my unpublished file that I can't write anything else because all I can think of is that thing sitting there done waiting 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 so I do I do post as I write and I just sort of come to the conclusion that if I don't finish something I mean I I I appreciate that there's a lot of people a lot of my really close friends feel badly if they abandon a work or if they disappoint their readers and I I understand that because I obviously I, I want people to read and enjoy and I want like you know i love giving people something to keep but i'm writing it and if i can't write it i don't want to you know have that hanging over me so you know there's a piece of exiles fan fiction that i wrote three chapters in and it's abandoned i'm like i'll leave it up because like you know someone may enjoy what's there but it's not going to get done and i really like feel strong with the fact that i don't want to say you shouldn't do this because i feel like you know a lot of times it's it's not a choice but i i feel badly when authors hold guilt or shame over publishing something and abandoning it or having to delete something because ultimately it's your work still and you put in what you can and i don't think there's any shame in realizing that you have no interest or nothing left to give for it and i I think that often that guilt can be just as damaging as like 
you know, getting flames or getting bullied by people. Yeah. So. I, I completely agree. And I think, I don't know, like, I'm, so I do publish as I write, uh, which I think might annoy my readers a little bit because I'm very slow. Like, <laughs> it took me like six months to post one chapter. Um, but, but I try to, for now, I've never felt like there was a project that I wanted to abandon. So I don't really know, like, to be honest, there has been times where I've had to like step away from a project for like, you know, a few weeks, a few months, because either I had life stuff or like, I just didn't feel inspired or whatever, but I've never felt like I wanted to abandon anything. And I don't know if this is me just because I'm very stubborn and I need to finish things. Like it's, it will like, it will bring me more anguish if I don't finish that if I do finish, um, so I don't know if that's like, if that's just me or if that's uh, just like the fact that the projects that I did start and published, um, I just, I felt really strongly about. There's definitely stuff in my like kind of, you know, my hard drive that or my Google Docs stuff that like I've started and never finished. But that was, that's stuff that like is not published. But as usually when I do publish, it's something that I feel strongly mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, gen like generally, it's never happened that I didn't want to finish uh, something. But anyway, I wanted to ask you about, and that's kind of like something that I find very interesting is, as you mentioned, you were in either very small fandoms or kind of medium fandoms. Uh, either writing or reading but just kind of participating before uh, going into Star Wars and just for context I looked up the most popular fic so by kudos in The Good Wife has seven has 758 kudos and the most popular Willisha so Will Alicia fic is 319 and in Star Wars, that's like 55,000 <laughs> kudos. So I'm just wondering, how do you feel about that? Like, how was your experience going from a fandom that was quite small and writing in a fandom that was quite small, where basically, like, in The Good Wife, everyone knew each other. Like, there was, like, maybe 100, 200 people really active and, like, everyone kind of knew each other, especially with Tumblr and stuff versus you know being in star wars that is just huge like i don't think it's as huge as potter but it's definitely very close yeah i i mean i do wonder i, I haven't been in potter for a long long time but star wars I would, I would think star wars is probably just as big it's just that star wars is broken into factions in a way that i don't think potter is like and i, I you know what, honestly i don't think i i've ever sort of Considered that because when you know, like you write ER fanfiction, you write Good Wife fanfiction, you get one comment, and you're like, oh my god, I've been noticed, amazing, amazing, and it feels so good. And now I'm at the point where I have so many comments, and this is not meant to be a flex, but I, I, because I feel very bad about it, but I, I can't keep up with answering them, and and I know that I don't have nearly as many comments as a couple of my friends do, who are very diligent with keeping up their comments, but um, I. I feel from what I've received, I have very, very thoughtful comments and I really hate replying without giving that same degree of thought 
back, you know, and I have people leave me like essays on, on fit. And I, and I love that. I appreciate that so much. And I'm fascinated by what they've seen, what they've pulled out. Someone, one, one person left this beautiful poem that they said this fix, one of my fix reminded them of. And I've read the poem a million times and I'm like, yeah, this is so profound. Like, absolutely. And I've never said anything back because I just can't figure out what to say, you know? And, and so I think that's been a bit of a huge privilege and a bit of a shock. Um, but I don't know that I, I don't know that I fully grasp the size of it because I, t- I generally write a pretty, unpopular pairing that's large by virtue of the fact that fandom is large but in terms of ships in that fandom is quite small so i typically write obatine which is everyone in satine i don't read obatine very much so i don't actually know why i'm drawn to writing them i mean i do know why that's a separate thing but um in terms of like you know that being where i spend my time i spend my most of the time in the obatine fandom i really like the people there Every so often, someone will say, like, like, I was recently invited to do a zine because the community voted for me. And I was so confused. I was like, what community? Who's done this? Very flattered and very excited. But I genuinely think in my head that it's a small fandom and like maybe two people know who I am. And that's sort of, that's also been part of, of me putting my foot in my mouth is that when I say things now, people listen in a way that I don't necessarily think I should be listened to. I'm I'm much more used to like saying something as a joke and having it been laughed at and then like dismissed, which is what I'm quite happy with. And now I'll say things and people will like take it and keep it and and either sh- you know share with somebody else or. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very hard, especially when you're not used to it. I mean, I reckon it's an interesting phenomenon because on the one hand, you've got a lot of people who often who you often see on Reddit who feel genuinely bad about the number of hits or the number of kudos that they might get because it's not enough, quote unquote, or, you know, they're comparing themselves to authors who are much more popular, for instance, or, you know, fics that are much more popular. And I think that's very sad, especially because a lot of these people, at least from the sounds of their messages, like, obviously I wouldn't know, but from the sounds of their messages are quite young which I think is quite sad, to be honest. But at the same time, there's people like me and you who came from smaller fandoms where, as you said, like you get one comment and you're like, oh my God. And so I think it's easy to get overwhelmed, especially especially when there's a lot of comments, a lot of success and stuff. You know, you're thankful and you're incredibly grateful for it. But there's also a way that it's harder to grasp I think the hugeness of it all and it you know I mean I avoid I avoid my statistics page sometimes not all the time but most of the time because it's it's not that my stats are too low it's that they're too high it's you know sometimes I look at the number of subs on my long work and I am like I will never post again (laughs) yeah You know, I'm just like, you know, when you see the number of subs and I'm not that big, but you see the number of subs and you're like, oh, my God. And I mean, there's 16,000 hits on Castles at the moment, which is my long work. And that sounds just ridiculous to me. And I don't I think it's it gets into numbers that are so hard to comprehend that it just drives me. It it not it doesn't drive me drive me nuts, but it's just like I, I cannot comprehend it 
I, I'm, I'm just looking at mine right now because I'm, I'm looking at your page and yeah, you got 16,000. And I think my, gosh, my long work has something like, something like that. Let me just see if I can find it. It's buried now. But, um, my, my long fic has, uh, 26,000 hits. Yeah. Which, which is small for Star Wars. It's yeah. Just, you and know. same thing. Like, it's small for Potter. But, like, but I'm still overwhelmed. I can't even imagine people, like, I have a bunch of friends who's like, you know, 100,000 hits on fix. I'm like, I, I cannot I imagine dealing with that in the best way. Like, dealing with it is, is not the way I mean to say, you know what I mean? I just, just. No, I mean, I, I know what you mean. It's like, how it's so huge and you're kind of like and I think I think that's especially and that's why like I know I've uh, written a number of posts about it on Tumblr about like you know kind of advice like writing advice posts and stuff and what I've I remember saying in one of them was start with a small fandom if you can because for me like I see, you know, a lot of the times, like, I'll go on Reddit or whatever, and I'll see these kids are, who are, like, in huge fandoms, and they get, like, so discouraged because they don't get the number of hits that they're supposed to be, or that they think they're supposed to be, or, like, you know, they don't get the number of kudos or reviews that they're supposed to be. And it's, like, I think the gift for me of starting writing in a small fandom was that I didn't care about any of that like as long as I yeah. got like a comment that was like oh my god that I like this or whatever and god forbid you got a comment from like a writer you admired like I... <laughs> oh my god that, like that, that, that made the whole thing worth is, it that would be it one comment would make the whole yeah, thing worth and it and it's like but it's such a small community that even if there is drama and even I think there's always going to be drama no matter the size of the fandom I think it's like the kind of you're less focused on you're more focused on the interactions and less focused on the numbers and I think that's very good but also the kind of other side of the coin of that is like when you do get into a big fandom you're like I'm like I cannot understand the numbers that are associated with with my fakes like I'm like there's 401 people at the moment who've cooled yeah. my and I know because I just checked before the podcast but I was like I was like what wh- why like why <laughs> and it's like and it's and and that's just one thing so like if you can yeah. like everything that I've produced on Potter were like at like hundreds if not thousands since I probably thousands since I started writing in Potter and because I start because I kind of write like different things like I have a main I have a main fake that's like post canon post-war canon compliant like basically the continuation of the books but then I have like other fics that are like in other niches like I have the Fleur fic I have a fic about Seamus so all these people don't really Mm -hmm. don't necessarily read everything that I write you know because it's not you know people are very particular about the stuff they write and, and that they read and that's completely fine but I'm like that is like I cannot comprehend. Like I remember the last time I checked, the last time I checked my stats, and it was like sixteen thousand. I was like, okay, hits aren't real because you know you can just get a hit and the person doesn't like it and clicks out, right? So I was trying to talk myself out of it, and I was like, okay, let's say there's like ten percent of those that are real, 
like let's say 10%, there's only 10% of those that are real, which mm-hmm. in fairness, I probably think it's higher than that. And then I was like, that's still 1,600 people. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, well, the thing is, too, somebody posted the other day to one of my uh, discords, they were talking about how, how published authors, traditionally published authors, the very, like, average group can hope to sell a dozen copies of their book. And so basically anybody publishing fan fiction is getting more eyes on their work than basically yeah. anybody getting traditionally published. And that is wild to think that, you know, you can have 12 people buy your novel, but you can have, you know... 1,600 people at bare minimum reading your fic. And, you know, so I think, I think yeah. there's, there's part of it that fan fiction, because it's so accessible, it, it does kind of give people a, a, a skewed vision of what they should expect in terms of engagement. I think it breaks my heart because these are people that I like truly admire and who I know people love and have written some really beautiful work, but are so distracted by the statistics page which like you said isn't even true it's not telling you a true reflection of anything really and um and i I find that really really upsetting and it's very difficult to reassure someone and i think honestly the past year or so of being deeply into star wars and the star wars fandom has taught me that not to take anything away from anybody who is successful because i think you know the stories that are popular are popular for a reason but largely it's luck it's it's what you post when you post it and who happens to be online reading it because I've read some incredible fic that because they were posted sort of in the dark time between Live Journal and AO3 being you know switching over have like have like 20 hits and they're beautiful beautiful fics and and I've read some fics that are super popular that I don't like at all like I'll I won't like the characterization I won't like the plot like you know just for whatever reason aren't for me and 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 i think what's really difficult for me to see is when fans with a significant platform make out like they're the experts and their followers look to them as if they have the solutions as to like why they are successful and what will make them the followers successful and and there'll be things like you know you have to write in character and this is how you write in character and it's i just don't think anyone's the authority on that i I don't know that there's any quantifiable logic or specific formula that you can that you can you know distill to to ensure that your fic is popular. Yeah, I agree, and I think to be honest, like popularity and quality are not necessarily linked. Like not in the yeah. way that not in not to diss the very popular fics, but it's more like for me, for instance. I can look at the stuff that I've written and be like, I know what my favorite stuff is and it's not the most popular. Do you know exactly, what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it's, like, it's like, that's the way I see it as well as like, I think, you know, if you're in it, if you're in fanfic for popularity, then that's a thing. And I think, to be honest, like, I think stats are interesting. Like the way I apprehend my stats is that I dissect them I either ignore them or I dissect them a lot to the point that they don't belong to me anymore they're just kind of like a Uh a think of study and I'm like oh that's interesting like but I kind of dissociate myself from them if that makes sense but I think like that doesn't really mean anything in terms of the quality of the thick or at least how good you you yourself as the author 
uh, how you feel about it and it's like you know I can say that like you know probably my favorite probably my favorite thing I've written this year is the the Seamus fic in the Roar series so in the in the character series that I wrote but you know that's not necessarily my most popular fic because it's a very niche character and yes it got it got more success than I expected originally and I think that was because it was part of a collection and like multiple people like kind of went to see the collection and so saw that fic and read that fic Uh but but it wasn't it's not but it's definitely not my most popular and yeah you know and my most popular outside of my long work because I think long work long fics are kind of different but but apart from that like my most popular fic is like a hinny like a um, Harry Ginny one shot that I like (laughs) I I don't dislike it like it's fine it's cute and it's I mean cute it's cute and angsty at the same time but it's it's fine and it's good and you know but I did write it in one afternoon and it's not particularly my best work yeah well I have a similar thing with that like my my most not counting my super long fic my most popular fic is something that began as a joke and (laughs) (laughs) and like in fairness to it and in fairness to myself I do think it ended up being pretty good and and I do, again, like you said, I, I like it. I do like it. And I think that it, it does some interesting things. But like in terms of the fic that I think is the best and I think is the most intricate and that I'm probably proudest of, that fic is like <laughs> so much less popular. And I and right, I feel like okay. it's one that, you know, I, I keep pushing on people like, no, read this one. And people are really like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Anyway, your other fic. And I'm like, I know, but like, did you see this? And, and for me, I feel like it has so many more like like it was it's this fic about it's an Obi team fic an obi-wan team fic and it's told from two perspectives but one perspective is exclusively poetry and you never see in it from like you never see directly from that perspective so like it's basically all Satine's perspective but she's reading poems that obi-wan has written to her and because obi-wan is the author of these poems they are his perspective and if you read those poems you theoretically should be able to chart where he is in his story and what he's feeling and what he's trying to do with each of those poems and hers it's a much more conventional sort of third person like direct point of view and it's her reading those poems and how she reacts to those poems and i spent so long on these poems spent so long on these poems and each one has its own language and each one comes from a different planet and each planet has a different tradition with these poems. And, and like, you know, I recognize that, you know, we've kind of lost the plot of, of Star Wars when I do this. But to me, that's something that I thought was really kind of interesting. And yeah, and, yeah, no, yeah. definitely. And so another thing that I wanted to ask you about is, so your experience, like kind of working on, zines and and kind of like the fandom at large and how did you feel about that and I guess the second question that I had which is maybe related I don't know is I don't want to sound like stalkerish or whatever but I did see you were blogging some of the stuff that I posted about 
the Netflix and Bridgerton case and kind of like the monetization of fan fiction in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I was wondering, like, if you had opinions about that and like, what what do you think about it? And maybe how does that tie in with like the kind of exploitation of fandom in, in a more, you know, like with zines and like things getting published and all that stuff? I mean, I... <sighs> I always have to say with a caveat that, you know, I'm speaking from a position of, of inexperience. You know, I have not been published. I've been published, but the things that have been published have been like essays and academic things, not like, you know, works of fiction. Um, And obviously I'm not a huge studio with a lot to lose, but I'm very anti copyright. (laughs) I, I think copyright's a scam. Um, I don't think it exists to protect artists largely because the vast majority of artists don't have the resources to contest copyright violation, especially when that copyright violation has been perpetrated or perpetrated, sorry, by uh, a large studio, you know, so-and-so makes something and major studio steals it. Mm -hmm. Who's going to win in court? The studio can afford lawyers. The studio can afford, I mean, you have certain studios rewriting copyright law to suit them. So that tells me that it's not, for the artist it's for the industry it's it's for the franchise it's for the corporation um and i think that fundamentally you can't protect something sort of what we touched on briefly they're built on reference language is built on reference um art is built on reference and uh, like i want to make a distinction i i really think that artists should make money off their art and i think that plagiarism is bad mm. and i think that stealing is bad but I also think that for things like works of fiction, and generally speaking about works of fiction, because I, I just don't have enough experience in like visual arts to comment on how, how that would work. But, you know, Shakespeare still exists, even though we've remade Romeo and Juliet a million times. You know, it, it doesn't lessen the importance of his work. And Romeo and Juliet itself is a rewrite of another older work that still exists. And in fact, exists probably more prominently in our social consciousness because of Shakespeare's later work. So his version didn't erase anything. If anything, it perpetuated it. And, and that's how myth works. That's how storytelling works is that one story based on the previous one perpetuates the, Mm -hmm. the original. And so for me, I, I've said this before and I, and I, I have yet to be dissuaded from it. I mean, I don't want to stick to something and then years down the line become, you know, fabulously wealthy and have people be like, you said, but, that's very unlikely to happen. So I'm going to say it anyway. I feel that if ever I were to write a, a story that was published to significantly positive feedback, I would I would try to make it public domain as fast as I could. And I, I think it's probably the best way to do it or work out some kind of licensing. I wouldn't want a single studio to own the rights to it. And I would want anybody who wanted to, to be able to profit from works based on it. I would love for, you know, if I wrote a novel, I'd love for fan fiction authors to publish their own continuation of that story or, or publish their own version of it. Um, I, I just don't think, because someone, you know, I've had friends ask like, well, what happens if someone writes one that's more popular than yours or better than yours? And I'm like, well, good. I mean, I, I mean like good for them. I, they couldn't have written it without mine. Any work that they make that's popular will only increase the popularity of mine because people will be like, okay, what's it based on? So, and even if they don't go back to it, it'll have to be carried on because it'll always be in reference to this original work. 
So I just don't think that I would be upset by that. I, I just don't think I would be bothered. Like, and you know, if someone was like, oh, they became a billionaire and you're only a hundred thousandaire, I'd be like, well, you know, they wrote a good book. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't think, I don't think I'd be upset by that because good, like good, you should, you worked on it. And I, and you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm in a position now where I am the unpaid artist and I am writing all this fic, but yeah, I just, the general argument for copyright is that these aren't your characters, this isn't your world. But, you know, after 200,000 words, where I've basically invented the character for what was only a sketch of a person in the original work, it does start to feel like, you know, this is my work. I did make this. And I think that no matter what, it's always going to be your work. You can write the most popular character to ever have existed. And you, you can see that. you could, People write Sherlock Holmes stuff. And because Sherlock Holmes is, pop, is, is public domain, nobody's arguing against the author making money off that. They can say, oh, that's not their character. But that interpretation 100% is. It is. It's, it's always going to be filtered through your own understanding, your own unique experiences, your own, your own sort of preference as to what characteristics you felt were important or significant or true to what you experienced when you read it or watched it or whatever. So, like, you know, the way I write Obi-Wan is not the way that George Lucas writes Obi-Wan. It's the way I write Obi-Wan. And if people feel that they, they match or feel that they're similar enough to be recognizable, that's not a testament to me copying so much as it is a testament to me finding a similar truth in the character and emphasizing a similar feature. But that feature's not copyright. And you, know, you can say this too, because like you look at all these characters who vibe the same. Like In my opinion, Lupin vibes the same as Obi-Wan, who vibes the same as Spock. Like They're all sort of the same... <laughs> Same kind of character, yeah. and uh, you... they're tropey characters as well. Like, yeah, they're tropey, which is totally fine because you know you see yourself in a trope. You see that it's easy to recognize yourself when the picture's so big and so so deeply painted by centuries of similar characters. So I'm not a copyright fan. I just think it's a lie. I have very complicated feelings on it and things related to like Tolkien. Because, you know, obviously right now there's a huge amount of controversy over it. And Tolkien himself famously did not want his works to be adapted. And his son famously very protective of it. And the Tolkien estate, very protective of it. And I respect that. I do respect that. I just don't think it's possible to maintain the relevance of a work if you protect it so zealously that nobody else can touch it. And I think that ultimately that protectiveness isn't a failure anyway, because all modern fantasy basically touches on Tolkien mm -hmm. and is influenced by Tolkien. And whether or not you reference him directly because legally you can or cannot, he's, he's there. Yeah. And I also think that if he's going for, you know, the creation, a creation myth, that is something that's going to be told over and over again in ways that you may not agree with, in ways that may not be quote-unquote true, but that's just how storytelling works. And again, it doesn't diminish the integrity of the original. Nothing made diminishes the integrity of the original. It, it can't, because that already exists. That, that can't be touched. It, it is what it is. And I find, I, and just like one last thing on that, is that, you know, I, there was somebody, there's a, a, a franchise person online, not a not a IP creator, but somebody who worked for an IP who was like, you know, copyright's important because if fans get to make their own work, they may do something that damages the integrity of the character. And I just think that's crazy talk because, like, Marvel made Captain America into a Nazi. I don't think any fan 
could make anything more offensive. I think, you know, you as your IP copyright owner, have, you've done it. You've gone there. So, you know, I don't think that protects. I, I think it's all, I think it's nonsense. I think it's nonsense. Yeah, the number of TV shows or like stuff that I've been in fandom where it's like, oh, the TV show itself became OOC or whatever, like out of character. Yeah. Like the number of times yeah. that's happened. And yeah, I think to me, I don't know if I have like a such a strong opinion on copyright itself. What annoys me is, and I'm I'm saying this is like I am planning one day to make a Tumblr, a big Tumblr post about this and like kind of explaining what copyright law is because I think whilst I really like AO3 and I think the stance that they take makes sense to me in regards to the law in the way that it exists, AO3 does not dictate the law. Like, it is not because something Mm -hmm. is for free that it is legal and it's not because something is to, is like not for free that it is de facto illegal. Like, that is not how copyright law works. And and like the number of people who after the Bridgerton, the the musical kind of blew up and like people were like, and then, and then they got sued, which will settle by the way, like they're going to settle this, I suppose. Um, But Mm -hmm. the number of people who are like, well, obviously the musical is wrong because they're making profit. And I'm like, that's not how copyright law works. Like that is not. Yeah. And the the fact of the matter is there is very little precedent in terms of that you could potentially look at to determine like what whether or not fanfic could be monetized Uh, because most of the time fanfic writers do not make money and so they don't get sued because you don't sue someone who doesn't make money unless Mm -hmm. you're crazy. But like most people... Which... Yeah, which Anne Rice. But like Anne Rice is like always the yes. Yeah, always the like you know, it is the example. And again, and she did not sue. She did not sue. She sent cease and desist letters, which is a complete like a completely different thing. What she did was if you don't take this offline, I will sue you. Which I understand is very scary when you're not a lawyer, you're a sixteen year old, you get that in your email in in your inbox. And you're just writing fanfic. It's very scary. But she did not sue. And I don't know if she would have actually sued had the people kept their stuff online. The thing is, people just took their stuff offline because they got scared. Legitimately so. So again, I'm not like blaming these people, but we don't know what would have happened. But Anne Rice aside... It is very unlikely that people will sue you if you're not making money. And therefore, that's also why AO3 protects its readers and writers that way. Because they're like, well, we are discouraging... Like, they're basically saying they're discouraging the number of lawsuits by, like, not making any profit. Which is fair enough. But it's not the law. And I get annoyed when people... And the lawyer in me gets annoyed when people are like, well, this is the law. And, like, obviously the musical, like, the Bridgerton musical is wrong because of this. And I'm like, no, AO3 is not the legislator <laughs> here. <laughs> AO3 is just keeping its head down. I mean, I I mean, I think, like, the Bridgerton musical for me is, is complicated and not complicated. Like, I think, you know, in terms of legality, it's not legal. Fine. But in terms of like, do I think it's right that they're being 
prosecuted for it? No. Does it, I'm not saying that like that's legal or not legal or that like, you know, Netflix has no grounds to do it. They, they have legal grounds, but I'm just saying that like, I personally disagree with the law essentially. But they have, they have legal grounds, but I'm not even sure. Like it, it will settle because I don't see anyone involved carrying on this lawsuit. Like, and I might be yeah. wrong again, like, but I don't see anyone, like, involved carrying on this lawsuit for, you know, considering the cost, considering everything. Like, it will settle, in my opinion. But, but, like, whether or not they have grounds, it depends if it's transformative enough. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is that, like, I would argue that as soon as you've written something different, as long as you're not writing, like, the script out, as long as you're writing a transcript, I would argue that's transformative enough. But obviously, you know, not lawyers. So there's two cases that are kind of like fun fiction. There's one which I think, I can't remember what American, I think it's Jack Kerouac, but I'm not sure. Someone wrote like a continuation of a famous like great American novel. So uh, this is Joe from the future. It's not Jack Kerouac. It is uh, J.D. Salinger and it's Catcher in the Rye. It was a continuation of Catcher in the Rye. And the case is Salinger and Colting, uh, Second Circuit, United States Court of Appeal, decided 30th of April 2010. I am still planning to write this article in Tumblr someday. But in the meantime, I will put all the sites that I'm quoting in the episodes into the notes if you're interested and feel free to like ask me any questions on Tumblr uh, about what I said in the episode. Thank you. And it was like continuation like 70 years later, same character but like at the at the end of their life and that the estate sued uh, that book which would have been like kind of in fanfic terms it would have been like canon compliant 70 years later kind of thing you know and they sued and they won and the the estate won saying that the work was not transformative enough to warrant being able to be published without licensing licensing rights um so that that they won however there's another case that's um a rewriting of Gone with the Wind, but from the point of view of the slaves. And I think the book was called The Wind Long Gone. And that's the author of the book, so of the the parody, the second book, won. Because the court found that the work, there was clearly kind of a political aim to her work. And that it was like a more enough of a transformation to say that you know that was like far enough from the original work and from gone with the, the original gone with the wind that she could publish it in her own right so where is the truth somewhere in between you know like it's kind of like where does bridgerton fall i don't know but it is a debate like i think if they went ahead with the show it means that they they probably, they and their legal team, because let's be honest, they had lawyers on this before, they probably found that it was worth a shot. And uh-huh. I think and I think the goal in this is to then negotiate with Netflix to get a better licensing deal 
than what they originally were offered. But that's just, you know, me thinking that. Yeah. I mean, I think so too. And I also think that like, you know, I, I again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not familiar with all, with as much of the, especially American law, um, as probably pretty much anybody. But to me, those two cases sound pretty arbitrary in the decision. Like, like what makes something completely imagined 70 years in the future or whatever it was less transformative than something that's taking place in the exact same time frame, but from a different perspective. And I understand that like in this case, it was the idea of it being a parody or a satire, like something critically, uh, a critical examination of the text and the context. I, I understand that that was like the distinguishing factor, but in terms of like how transformative that is, I don't, I, I, it feels very arbitrary. Yeah. I agree. And, and, and I was wondering, have you heard of the, the, like the alpha beta omega law thing? No. no. So look into this one. Cause this one's, this one I thought was really interesting and wild, but there's a, an author of romance novels. I don't know if you know about alpha beta omega. It's really quite sexual and it's quite, it's based on like fake dog characteristics, like pack characteristics. But some, an, an, a published romance author last year or two years ago sued somebody else for writing this trope and claiming that they had invented it. But it was actually invented by the supernatural fandom. And so now you have an instance of an author violating the transformative, transformative work of a fan fiction culture and taking it like, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 so it's now gone backwards and it's like, well, how do you, how do you protect that then? Like if a fanfic author comes up with something completely original in the course of a transformative work, is that no, that's, that's something that they can't protect, but an author, a published author can steal that and then take them to court over it. It's wild. It's wild. And so I just think, it's it's a mess, and I and I you know I honestly I my biggest thing is not that I think copyright is misguided. I, I think yeah. it's a really lovely thought, and I think it's important to protect artists and protect their work. And I think you know yeah. as an artist, you should make money off your work. I just think that like the spirit of the law is not what's being put before the courts, largely because the people who write those laws are the people who are directly benefiting from them, as opposed to the people who need yeah. them. Agreed. The last question I wanted to ask you is, what's your experience? So I know you're currently querying for a book that you've written, and I was wondering if you wanted to kind of talk about that and talk about that process and maybe like that process of like going from fan fiction to original fiction and all of that stuff. Yeah. So um, basically, I spent all of 2021 writing essentially a novel. It's still on fanfiction. It's still on A3, A3. But I wrote about a period of Star Wars lore that has not at all been explored on in any in any canon, um, film, books, anything. And through the course of it, I realized I basically invented the vast majority of it. Yeah. Like, I invented a whole system of gods. I invented uh, a bunch of cultures. I, you know, I took... I, because there just wasn't that much in canon to indicate what was going on, I took hints from things that we kind of knew, but ultimately people have pointed out to me like it's not true or accurate or whatever. I just did my best and I invented this whole plot. And like I said before, it's based on the 12 labors of, Her- of Hercules. And when I was finished, I was like, well, you know what I should do? I should just take out the Star Wars and try and publish it as original fiction. 
because everyone's doing that these days, filing off the serial numbers, as they say. And um, I think an indication of how little Star Wars is actually in it um, is that it was quite easy to take out the Star Wars. It, uh, the biggest challenge was uh, replacing the language. I used an invented language. I used a lot of uh, Mandela, which is the mm-hmm. Mandalorian language, which is an incomplete language to begin with. So I spent so much time inventing these new words only to then get to this point where I was like, oh, I need to invent a whole new language and uh, inventing an entirely new language. And so that took time replacing that. But all the cultures were already unique and the plot line was already unique. So I've spent the last six months, eight months now, um, editing it and changing things and changing some of the relationships a little bit, changing the backstories mm-hmm. um, and uh, now querying it. Because I'm also, I just sort of have that feeling, you know, I genuinely don't think anything will come from it. I don't think that anybody uh, will so much as ask for a full request of it. I understand there's a lot of things that yeah. have going against it. Um, first of all, it begins with a dream, which apparently you should do. Secondly, it's 200,000 words, which uh, most agents are not going to even look at something that long, especially uh, sci-fi fantasy, because the costs of printing a debut novel over sort of 90,000, 100,000 is just too expensive to risk, basically. So that's been something I've had to contend with in terms of like, you know, how much do I want to stick with my original conception of it versus how much am I willing to bend to give this an actual chance? And um, yeah, it's been really interesting learning how to query. I don't think I'm very good at it still, but I I'm, I know I'm getting better. Um, I had a couple friends reading it and giving me pointers, and I think it's fascinating how quickly it becomes divorced from the source material. Um, and I think that I think that's another another sort of indication of the fact that, like, you know, oftentimes even things that feel true to the characters, if you switch the names out, it ceases to be recognizable. And uh, yeah, and so that's been like. I've had a lot of fun doing it. And it's interesting, too, because I, I was always sort of one of those people that, like, for me, writing, if I'm not already invested in the characters, it's difficult for me to be invested in the story. Not necessarily reading, but writing. And always feeling that, like, I didn't know where they were going. I didn't know how I was going to get there. And this, because I sort of felt comfortable, I made myself feel comfortable by making it familiar, um, was so much easier to do. And now that I've started switching it out and making it feel distant, I am hmm. falling like I can feel myself falling in love with this totally separate world that I've created. Replace the magic system, introduce a second magic system. I just because I, I guess I was like, let's make this more complicated. And yeah, so that's been really, really interesting. Um, very eye opening. Querying takes a lot more time than I thought it would. And it's very thankless. Yeah, I can imagine. It's yeah, I I don't think I will ever do the filing off serial number thing because I mean it would be it would be a lot of work to take it out of Potter because it's very very like mm-hmm. heavy into canon. But even if I just wouldn't want to go back and look at it again, like for me, once a story is finished, it's finished. And I find it hard. I do a lot of work whilst I'm writing. Like I edit a lot. Uh-huh. I think I edit more than most people. Like I spent I spent loads of time like editing and stuff before publishing. But once it's published, both a chapter and a story, I'm like, this is yours now. This is not mine anymore. And yeah. Do you um do you edit as you go or do you like finish and then go back and purposely edit? I edit per chapter. But like do you write the chapter and then go back or do you like edit as you go most of the time so it 
unless I'm like having like a writer's block or something where like I might just go back up the like the beginning of the chapter and like you know try like re-edit because just to like get to that point and see what I can change like sometimes that helps so in that Uh in that instance I edit sort of as I go but generally speaking I finish the chapter and then I do at least four rounds of edits on it before publishing uh so like four rounds of like going through the entire thing and usually the first couple of rounds I'm just like mostly rewriting and like just making like mostly it's mostly a rewrite of what I already have and trying to make things tighter make make them work better you know tight like tighten dialogue tighten prose and etc and then usually the last two versions are more for like little mistakes or little typos or little word switches or whatever so I edit a lot but once it's out it's like out and it's not my and it's funny I don't even think of it as mine anymore like I think Uh of it as like that's the readers like that's yours to read and like that's yours to interpret and think Uh about and but it's not mine anymore and and so I think like for me if I had to like finish something and then file up the serial numbers I'd feel very weird like going back on something that I finished and that doesn't in my head doesn't really belong to me anymore but I do think I would love to write fiction like not not professionally in the way that I ever hope to make a living out of it but more like in terms of like being professionally published at some point um but I think my plan is kind of like to finish that big long fic of Harry Potter and then like sit down with myself and be Uh like okay what's the next project like what am I gonna write next right I don't edit I write it I post it wow and you, I know um, it's funny because we're gonna we're gonna have another uh, fic writer as a guest in a few episodes, and I've already spoken to them, and I know like they said the same thing, like they're like they write and then that's it, and I I think that is wild. Like first of yeah. all, because my favorite part of writing is editing. Like that's when I, I feel like I'm writing. I hate. Can I send you my book and you can just edit yes. it, please? I, I hate editing. I hate editing. I, I love people who love editing because I, it's one of those like, I get it. I get why you love it. Like that, you know, it is writing. It's, it's the detail work. It's the figuring out what, what makes the connections, you know, it's, it's like, I get it. I get why it's great. And then I do it and I'm like, I hate this. I'm, I hate this. And like, for me, what I like about writing is I love when you're in the middle of, of it and you're in a flow and something happens and you're like, oh, that's good. Oh, that connected. And it's not necessarily kind of surprising you, but when all the little threads come together and you're like, <laughs> I'm so clever. Yeah, and then, and then like, you may go back and look at it later and be like, what yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, usually that will happen to me. And then the next day I'll be editing and I'm like, what was I on about? <laughs> What was I talking about? I don't know what this is. Yeah, but see, the thing is, it's too late. I've already published by that point. And and occasionally, I'll go back to catch, like, spelling errors. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot, for the life of me, spell Tenet. Like, it's Tenet of the Jedi Order. I always write Tenet. Mm. Always. Like, they're living in this house. And it drives me crazy because, like, I know that's not what it is. But I cannot 
get it right and I will post it. And like last time I posted something and I realized I'd written a word that sounded similar but was totally different. Could have caught that if I'd edited, <laughs> but I'm not gonna. But but the weird thing is, even even though I edit like a mad woman, there are still typos. Like, I don't know how this is possible, but I even printed out. Oh like, God. I printed it. There is one of there is one of the edits, because this is a very formal process. Like, there is, like, what each edit has its specific function and stuff. And so one of them I printed out. Even printing it out, there's still typos. I don't understand. Like, the number of times I go back and, like, read an, a former chapter because I've forgotten something or whatever, and I'm like... How did I? How did I leave a typo there? I have literally like read this like fifteen times, but somehow, so it's still there. somehow they're still in there. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I always I do feel like typos are the least problematic mistake because anybody reading it is gonna be like, that's just a typo. Nobody cares. Yeah. So I'm not super concerned with yeah. that. But I just find that like I tend to I briefly mentioned at the start, and I happened with a zine. I did a zine last year, and it just gave me too much time. They gave me so much time to write the story. I ended up overthinking it and it became super dry and I ended up having all these ideas of what I wanted things to mean and what I wanted people to see in these moments and extra lore that I built into it and, and ceremony and relationship and, and who studied what in school. Like going back to like, you know, so-and-so studied this in school and so they're connecting on this kind of level that they don't get else. And, and, and ended up making it dry and confused. And so I feel like for me personally, if I start editing, I start overthinking and I start second guessing and I start mistrusting, not even mistrusting the readers, but I'd mistrust myself. I'd be like, yeah. that wasn't clear enough. That was stupid. You should make that extremely clear. And then it ends up being very simple or very obscure or very just like the things that interest me are not the things that interest other people. And, and I think like generally speaking, for me, I like to just hint yeah. at something and let the readers draw their own conclusions. Because I feel like if I if I indulge myself too much, it becomes very much like me, you know, staring at the speck of dust on a microscope and be like, don't you see all this stuff on it? And they're like, mm -hmm. relax. Yeah, but I respect anybody who can edit and who likes editing. I I just have such great admiration for it. Like, I just mean that sincerely because <laughs> I, I can't. And it's a big problem. Yeah. Because like you said, for something like this, for me, the work does feel done. And it's difficult to go back to it and, and to go through it all for little things, especially. And I think for me, it lives in my head. So I'm like, well, obviously, this is the answer. And I'll have friends be like, well, you didn't put that in the book. And I'll be like, because, well, why do you want to know? Yeah, no, I definitely have that tendency of over editing as well, because I like it so much. So this is why I'm so rigid about it and I'm only allowed to edit a work four times because I know I have learned from experience that if I go <laughs> above that, I start obsessing and it start, the quality actually decreases. So it's kind of like this like fine line between the quality, incre yeah. like increasing the quality and decreasing it. And I found that like, having a first draft that I review four different times is like the perfect, like the perfect combination for me. But if I do more than that, mm -hmm. or if I do less than that, the quality is mm -hmm. just isn't the same. And I find too, I think it's really cool that you, um, that you really do feel like it's done once you put it out there. And, and that, that yeah. doesn't hang on you because I know I have friends who will publish and then fret about it. They'll be like, oh, even if they edit, they'll get caught up in it and they'll be like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And I always say that like, 
it's under your suit. You can go back and change it. And they're like, no, people will notice. I'm like, so, so, who cares? Like I've gone back, I've gone back and I've gone back and deleted stories. I've deleted full chapters. Yeah. I've gone back and like, no, what? I can do that better. Generally, I don't because sort of like you, I, once it's out there, I kind of feel like it is what it is, you know. And I kind of feel like I'm caught between these two, these two impulses. The one where I'm like, no, it has to be perfect, and then mm. it's like, I actually don't care about this at all. Where you know, here have some words, and also here have this incredibly crafted story that I put my heart and soul into and please see every single nuance of it. And, and I feel like, you know, my friends kind of tend to get stuck in the one where they want it to be perfect, but they're afraid to go change it because people might see that they've changed yeah. it. And that's another thing that I would like say to, to people writing is that, you know, as much as it is the reader's story, it's also like, you can, you can do whatever you want to it. You, you're the owner of it. It's on your account. Oh, yeah. I've gone back. I've gone back and fixed things like not, Obviously not huge things because I edit so much that like the huge things I wouldn't need to change them because I've like usually thought them <laughs> too much. Yeah, you've put some thought into it and you've considered it. What's happened a couple of times is I've gone back and actually added certain scenes. Either, usually it's like stuff that I deleted and then I was like upon, like upon reflection, like a few months later, I was like, no, that, that could have that should have stayed like that was that was good and that should have stayed so it's happened to me that I've added but when I say scenes it's like a few hundred words you know like here and there I've added like little details or whatever Uh Uh, but generally speaking I don't add that much but I definitely think it is your story and it's that's the beauty of fan fiction as well is like you you can go back and edit so do it like (laughs) you know do it, yeah. Do whatever you want to it. Honestly, do whatever you want to story. And I think that's really cool that like that like months later you, you can go back and know your story so well. Because I go back and I am like, I don't know what I think I'll look at old stories. And I and I have now I have like, you know, when you have one or two stories on your page, it's difficult not to be familiar with what you wrote. But I've gone back now a couple of times and I've been like reading a story and be like, Who wrote this? And it's me and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this at all. Not a clue. Someone will be like, I've had people come to my inbox and I'll be like, I really love that story where such and such happened. And I've gone to ask my friends and been like, I actually don't know where this is. What is this story? And they're like, that is, that's your story. And it's in this collection. I'm like, oh my God. And so I think the fact that you take such care and you have such great knowledge of your story, I, it makes me want to be better. I think it makes someone be more responsible and more careful because I think that's so beautiful that you can go back and give more to it and, and go and, and, you know, recognize that there is actually something more to say or something extra that you can, you can, you know, breathe into these characters in this this place. I think it's really beautiful. Well, on that really nice and flattering note, uh, (laughs) we're going to wrap up the episode now. So um, I was wondering, do you have any recommendations for anyone who listens to this in terms of can be books films uh things articles about writing like uh, literally anything i have just fallen back into lord of the rings so hard i reading silmarillion for the first time i tried so many times over the years and you know everybody else failed and i'm succeeding this time and i'm actually really liking it it's like brief sketches of where he wants to go and i think that's been really fascinating to look at and i think possibly because i've been writing more i have a greater appreciation for it than i did before um i think that's interesting and he also wrote tons of letters to readers explaining his plots and explaining his symbols and explaining his characters which have been deeply fascinating to me because it's just sort of like an insight into the mind of a writer and if you have any interest in tolkien 
many inches in writing, I, I think those are really cool things to look at. Um, I think in terms of fic, uh, Truescape is one of my absolute favorite authors. They're, they're synced and concise, but they say so much, and I'm always awestruck because I'm sitting here writing like, you know, hundreds of thousand words to be like, the sky was blue. And, and she'll come up with like an image that changes how I write. And, and I'll, I'll stick with that forever. And I'll just like be thinking about that. I think that's such a profoundly unique skill that I really admire. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll link that, uh, in the show notes. And in terms of me, um, do you know what? I've been going back and forth on the recommendation that I was going to make because I wanted to sound clever. But no, no, I wasn't. I'm going to recommend watching reality TV and especially trashy reality TV. And oh. Because to be honest, in terms of storytelling and drama, these things are just through the roof. Like, they're just so good. That's true. That's true. And because they're all produced, they're all produced right? So I they was all watching, because, have... um, you know, obviously with the news yesterday, I was a bit sad. And for the record, for yeah. anyone who's listening later uh, later on, it's the 10th, it's the 9th, 10th of September and the Queen of England just died yesterday. And so I was feeling a bit sad and reflecting on like life in general. And so I was like, Do you know what? I'm just going to watch like Selling Sunset on Netflix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and <gasps> I have very strong opinions about these people. Um, I think Chriselle is just the best, uh, but I'm very early on. So I don't know. Maybe maybe Chriselle turns out to be the devil. I don't know. Uh, but right now I like her. And yeah. And I think like in terms of storytelling and in terms of producing, these things are they're they're good don't watch only that but definitely do watch it because they're quite good and they're quite i like I them think it, i think that's a great recommendation because you know i think there's like a lot to be learned from things that we often disparage and i i'm a firm believer in that like things can be objectively bad or objectively good and you can like or dislike them apart from that and i think you know reality tv has been around for so long it is it's well made. Yeah. Like it is, they know how to tell a story, mm. whether or not that's a story that everyone's invested in or everyone feels like significant. Isn't the same thing as being well told. Um, yeah. I think they know yeah, what they're doing. hundred percent. And I've heard really good things about, about selling sunset. Okay. Well, Tess, it was lovely to have you on. Where can we find you online? It was indeed. I'm Tessiet on AO3. I'm also Tessiet on Tumblr, T-E-S-S-I-E-T-E. Um, that's what I go by, and I guess it's too late to change that now. So that is what I will be. Okay, and I'm Pebbly Send um, at Pebbly Send on AO3 and Tumblr. You can also find the podcast at the thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com. Thank you so much for being here. Um, it was lovely to have you, and... Yeah, I would love to do this again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye.